I'd uh, like for you to take your Bible, and I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of, uh, let me get my Bible right, Jeremiah chapter 36. When I was studying this passage of Scripture, my mind went back to uh, one of the very first days of my experience of seminary. And um, for the very first time, I was exposed to liberalism. And I never dreamed that I would hear some of the things that I heard in the first couple of days of my classes. Fortunately, that seminary, Southeastern Theological Seminary, is a very conservative seminary, and many of those professors, if not all those professors, are gone that I had. But I remember, I remember going into one of my Old Testament classes, and I remember my professor was saying that uh, we were discussing about when uh, Moses was leading the children out of the bondages of Egypt. And, uh, of course, you and I read in the Bible where it said the Red Sea opened up its waters and the people walked on dry ground. I've always heard that. Well, my professor said that really was not the Red Sea. It was called the Reed Sea. And the water was only about knee-deep. And so the waters nearly didn't part that the people were able to go into shallow, shallow waters. One of my... Uh, fellow student stood up and he says, praise God. He said, it's a greater miracle than I realized. The professor looked at him and said, what are you talking about? He said, for all those thousands of Pharaoh's army drowned in knee-deep water was a miracle. (laughs) I thought, boy, that is so true. But for centuries... People have tried to deny the Word of God. They have tried to take the Word of God and try to explain it away. We're going to find in our study today that here was a king that did exactly that. Heard about a little boy one time. He was so proud. He was about five years old. He had learned a memory verse, and he shared his memory verse. And when he got through, he gave the reference of that memory verse as as delusion chapter 5, verse (laughs) 1, which he meant to say Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. Well, the Bible was not a book of delusions. It is the Word of God. And it is true, and it is accurate. But we're going to find today, here in this passage of Scripture, 
of where there was a king by the name of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the king of Judah for 11 years. And for 11 years, he was known as a very wicked king. He was a king that uh, was marked by oppression. He was a king that was marked by violence. He was a king that was a king known as of covetousness. He was a very wicked king. And Jeremiah had received a word from the Lord. And you're going to see that of how Jehoiakim, known of all the many things, was a king that who took the word of God, cut it up in shreds, and threw it into the fire. As if to say that he could destroy the word of God. Well, my friend, thousands of years later, we're reading from the word of God about this experience, and the word of God still stands. And the word of God will continue to stand. Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 26, I mean verse 20, excuse me, and we're going to read through verse 23. Would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's word? And they went to the king into the court. But they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehodi to bring the scroll. And he took it from Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehodi read it in the hearing of the king. And in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehodi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. We're going to stop there and we'll continue looking at this passage of Scripture. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before your mighty presence thanking you for the Word of God, thanking you that it's God-breathed. And that you have spoken into the existence of what we call the Bible. And Father, help us to understand that and to recognize that and to revere that. We pray, dear Father, that today that we may be more convicted than ever to stand firm upon the holy scriptures of the word of God. May the Spirit of God speak to us, work in our lives, convict us of our sins, challenge and compel us to be all that you've called us to be. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 
Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 5. In the latter portion of that verse of Scripture, it says, did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Talking about Jehoiakim, a wicked, wicked king. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to study about this particular king. E.M. Blaylock said of Jehoiakim, he said, few rulers of Judah have passed from the pages of history so loaded with scorn. So that kind of gives us an idea and an understanding of the type of person that would take the Bible and try to destroy it and try to execute it in a manner of where people would not believe or understand or accept the Word of God. Jehoiakim is most remembered throughout the Word of God as the one who took the Word and cut it in shreds with a knife, and there he threw it into the fire. I want you to see three particular truths as we study about this passage of Scripture. First of all, as we think about the Word of God, I want you to think, first of all, that it's a revealing word. Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 1 and 2 says, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah. Now, I want you to understand that, and I want you to underline that, that the word came to Jeremiah. Now, notice where it says, from the Lord. From the Lord. Saying, take a scroll, a book, and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to this day. Jeremiah, the prophet, had been in commune with the Lord and the Lord spoke to Jeremiah. And he told Jeremiah, I have words that I want to reveal to you that for you to share with Judah and all the nations. And so you began to notice that God began to express to him his desire and his condemnation upon that nation. The word of God that then was put into what is known as in written form. We have it today, the scroll of Jeremiah. Now, when you think about the Word of God, there's two things I want you to begin to think about. First of all, that it's as an inspired word. It was an inspired word. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 1, Once again, it said that the word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord. Jeremiah had had heard a personal word from God. Jeremiah had a secretary by the name of Baruch. And he asked Baruch to, as I dictate this letter, I want you to write it down upon the scroll. 
And so Jeremiah dictated what he had heard from the Lord. And Baruch began to put it on a scroll. And so the Bible begins to remind us that even though Jeremiah spoke the word, it was God that spoke to him. So the word came from God. God was the author. Jeremiah was the mouthpiece. Baruch was the scroller. He was the transcriber. He's the one that put the words down. And so the Bible is a book transcribed by human hands and, yes, translated by human instruments and, yes, printed on presses by human beings. But I want you to never, ever forget that God is the author. He is the author of the Word of God. I boldly declare that God is the author of this book. That's why we can say, thus saith the Lord. It's not what man thinks, but it's what God says. Now, I see sections in the Bible where the Bible says that Moses wrote this part or that David was the author of this particular section or that Isaiah, Ezekiel, or Jeremiah are... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that they penned these words. Yes, they did, but they got the words from a holy God, God himself. My friend, I want you to understand, each letter was penned by almighty God's fingers. Each word that was dropped from the everlasting lips from almighty God. And each sentence dictated by the Holy Spirit of God. So we must understand without question that God is the author. Now, you say, well, Pastor, you're talking to the choir. We believe that. My friend, not everybody believes that. And as I said to you earlier, we had professors that, that taught that because that man penned these words, That's the reason that there are mistakes in the Word of God. But my friend, I want to remind you, because God is holy, God is perfect, that His Word is perfect and pure. Preacher was one time preaching about that God is the author of the Bible. A little boy was sitting next to his uh, uh, mother, and he looked over at her Bible, and she, he said, did God write this Bible? And he said, oh, yes. He said, mm, that's great. He sure does have a good handwriting. <laughs> My friend, I want you to understand that God did write this word. Now, it's not only an inspired word, it was a informative word. Jeremiah chapter 36 verse 2 said that the message that Jeremiah received was a message to Judah. It was a message to Israel. It was a message to all the nations. And it was a revealing, very informative message. God was informing 
Judah and Israel, that there was an impending wrath of God was going to fall upon that nation. And he told them, even to the point that he was going to use the Babylonians as a means of chastisement upon their lives. The Bible is God revealing himself. Have you ever thought about that? Every time that you open up the word of God, that you began to study and you began to read, that God is revealing himself to you. He's revealing himself, not only who he is, what he is, but also what he desires. And so I'm reminded of what R.G. Lee said about the Bible. I want you to read this along with me. He says, it is a living book. And in reading it, we come into contact and communion with him who is Lord over all and blessed forever. A book that unrolls the panorama of creation. A book that gives the lofty imagery of the prophets. A book that gives the portrait, portraiture of Christ. It is a book that gives the philosophy of salvation. It is a book that gives the facts of sin and the fact of the Savior. Book that gives the truth of lost man and man redeemed. It is a book that gives the fact of death and the wages of sin. It is a book that gives the truth of eternal life as the gift of God. It is the book. And so, my friend, just as God's word to Jeremiah to inform them of the coming judgment, the word of God reveals to us, does it not? As I think about that it it reveals to us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It reveals to us that none is good, no, not one. It reveals to us that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. It reveals to us that Jesus Christ, through his blood, that we can be washed and be redeemed and be reclaimed by the love and the mercy of God. Through the book, my friend, through the word of God, it reveals to us a hell that we're to shun and a heaven to seek. Through this book, my friend, it reveals to us The great I am. Oh, my friend, I'm so grateful for the book which we call the Bible. The Word of God. It informs us, does it not, that God is holy. It informs us that Jesus is worthy of the Lamb. It informs us, does it not, His desire, His demands, and what He denounces. The Word of God. I was reading about this rare book collector. And uh, as uh, he was talking to an acquaintance, this acquaintance was telling him of how he had thrown away this particular old Bible. And he briefly mentioned the word Guten. He said, not Gutenberg, 
you that you're speaking on? He said, oh, yes. He said, I saw that in the book. He said, and you threw it away? He said, did you not realize that Gutenberg, that those Bibles are the oldest Bibles that we have recorded? And you threw it away? Why? Did you realize that just a couple weeks ago, one of those Bibles sold for $400,000? And this guy said, well, it probably don't mean much anyway. He said, because uh, uh, there's somebody by the name of Martin Luther uh, scribbled all over it. And he says, it probably is not worth that much. (laughs) My friend, the word of God is worth everything that you can possibly imagine. It's not a certain copy that sells nearly a half a million dollars that's so valuable. But it's that Bible that we hold in our hand that reveals to us the great things of Almighty God. But I want you to see a second thing here. We not only see a revealing word, but we see a rejected word. A rejected word. As you come to read in Jeremiah chapter 6, you see that Jeremiah not only had Baruch to write the message, but he had him to take the message to the temple and there read the message to the people in the temple. While he read the message there, there was a young man by the name of Micaiah. And Micaiah heard the message and he went back to the princes of the king and told them of the message that was read there in the temple. They went and they sought after Baruch and they had him to come to the palace. And there they had him to read the message again. As he read the message, they then in return says, we want you to come before King Jehoiakim. And King Jehoiakim heard the message that was delivered by God through the pen of Jeremiah. And here's what happened. First of all, you'll notice it was a message that was destroyed. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 22 and 23, it says, Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehodi had read the three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife, cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. The Bible said it was the ninth month. It was a chilly month. So now, no doubt, as the Bible reminds us, that it was a time that they had a fire. I can almost imagine Jehoiakim sitting back in his lazy chair, eating a bag of popcorn, probably got a bottle of Coke, and there he said, read this message to me. 
And as he read the message, it angered him. And every time there was condemnation, and every time there was judgment that was going to come against Judah, he took his knife and he cut the scroll and he took it and he cast it into the fire. Baruch continued reading the scroll. And every time it would bring condemnation to Judah, he would take his knife once again and he would cut the word of God again and throw it into the fire until finally the whole scroll was thrown into the fire. Seems rather strange. What was Jehoiakim doing? He was thinking that if he destroyed the word of God, that that was the end of it. You know, there's a lot of people like that today. They don't want a preacher to preach on hell, and they think just because they don't believe in hell, there's no such place as hell. But my friend, I want you to understand, all the preachers in this world can denounce hell. That would not stop from hell from being one single bed. Churches today don't want preachers to preach on judgment. They don't want to preach on the second coming of the Lord and that if Christ would come and you did not know him, you'd be left behind. They don't want you to preach on those kinds of things. You think about it. For centuries, for centuries, people have scoffed at stories like the book of Jonah. Ha! You really believe that a fish could swallow a man? They've scoffed at the stories of the axe head floating. You really believe an axe head could float on water? They've scoffed on the rolling back of the Red Sea and destroying those thousands of Egyptian soldiers. They've scoffed at the idea of the new birth. They've scoffed at the idea of there's only one way to heaven. Why? God is a God that there's many ways to heaven. You have your way, I have my way. We're all going to the same place. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, I am the way. And when he said, I am the way, he was saying, I am the only way. And so, Fred, I remind you today, down through the years, people have scoffed at the idea of the new birth. They've scoffed at the idea of blood atonement. Creationism. They've scoffed at the idea of the possibility of one being washed by the blood. Why, that's bloody religion. Who wants to accept something like that? That's what they say. 
What they'd done, they tried to cut the Bible up and they tried to piece it and accept the things that they want to accept and reject the things that they reject. But my friend, I want you to understand John 3.16 is in the Bible, but also Romans 3.23 is in the Bible. The wages of sin is death. You cannot cut one away without cutting it all away. And my friend, the word of God will stand. I don't care who. It has stood for centuries and it's still going to stand until Jesus Christ comes again. Amen. But it was a message that was destroyed. Now, why did he want to destroy it? Because he disliked it. He disliked it. Not a message that he appreciated or a message that he accepted, but he disliked it. And so therefore, the thought of it was rejecting it. Oh, my friend. I think about in our day and time today of our political wrecked society. A preacher gets up and talks about homosexuality or he gets up and he preaches against abortion that's a no-no in our society today you can't do that pastor you're going to offend somebody well my friend i'm here to tell you the word of god will offend you and the preacher is just only a messenger my friend he's just the delivery boy he's just the mailman don't get mad at the mailman you get You take it up before the Lord. And so therefore, many dislike the teachings of the Bible and they've often rejected. But there's a third thing I want you to see here. We've noticed that it was a revealing word. It was a rejected word, but it was also a repeated word. I like the way the Lord works. Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah 36, verse 27 28. Now after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instructions of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, take yet another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned. The Lord says, I'll show you. I'll just rewrite it. And he says the very same thing again. God simply gave a message again to Jehoiakim, which was saying that my word will stand forever. The word of God cannot be destroyed. Generation after generation after generation, centuries after centuries, there have been kings and there have been theologians who've tried to destroy the word of God. But the Bible says that it's an indestructible book. Listen what 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 25 declares. The word of the Lord endureth forever. Forever. Will Houghton, 
said these words. The empire of Caesar is gone. The legions of Rome are moldering in the dust. The avalanches that Napoleon hurled upon Europe have melted away. The pride of the pharaohs is fallen. The pyramids, they're raised to be their tombs, are sinking every day into the desert sands. But the word of God still survives. Still survives. You may cut it up. You may burn it. You may deny it. But it will stand forever. Forever. The word of God cannot be destroyed. The word of God cannot be denied. The message that Jehoiakim heard was not one that he wanted to hear, and yet God said to pass it on and declare it. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. What God said was true, and it came to pass, and it came to fulfillment. It cannot be denied, it cannot be doubted, and it didn't make one bit of difference. Jehoiakim cut up the word of God and threw it in the fire. Didn't make any difference. I was reading about when the great San Francisco earthquake came back in 1908. Over 2,500 people were killed. Over 300,000 people were left homeless. Damage exceeded more than $400 million. And that was back in 1908. But what was sad, just a month prior to the great earthquake, Fire Chief Dennis Sullivan had warned the governmental officials that San Francisco were in badly need of awareness of fire protection. And that they were, if they did not heed to that warning, that the city could be destroyed. One month before then. They did not heed to his warning. They said it costs too much. And therefore, we do not have the capabilities or the funds to bring up our city to the standards for fire protection. And then when that great earthquake hit and the fire, fires went running through rapidly through the city, destroyed all those many lives and buildings. Simply because... They did not heed to the warning 
We have warnings all the time. I was just thinking just the other day when I was watching the news and all the fires that were being scattered there in California that the officials were warning the people to leave their homes because the fire was coming. Many left, but there were some that didn't. And because that they did not, they perished in the fire. I think about the warnings when hurricanes come, when Michael was going to come and and we had all the warnings. And then, of course, as it came up through the panhandle of Florida, how they had warned the people to leave, and thousands upon thousands left. But there were a number of people that did not heed to the warning. You know what I'm saying? We can stand here all day long and say, I agree that the Bible is the Word of God. But the Bible says that if you're to die without the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to die and go to hell. And yet there's people that will sit under the sound of my voice and other gospel preachers and they will not heed to the warning. We can stand and can preach and instruct a great cry out of saying that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. And if you do not know Christ, you'd be left behind. And yet there'll be people that will not heed to the warning. Oh, friend, I'm here to tell you today Don't be a Jehoiakim. Don't think just because I don't believe such a thing, it's not going to happen. Because just as I said earlier, if every preacher in this nation would renounce the Word of God, that does not mean one single thing when it comes to judgment. It's still going to fall. It's still going to fall. Yes, we need to stand and believe. But we need to heed to the warnings of the Word of God.